welcome to the Dystopian Republic. I am your host, Raul Guerrero. Our story for today begins on the morning of February 12, 2013. A warm dawn awakened the clumsy, forested wetlands of Humedal Costa Sur out of their cold slumbers. Not on view, thanks to the viney branches and enshrouding brush was Altricam, a hamlet of modest cabins twenty miles east of the provincial capital, Richelieu. Its 187 settlers lived in muggy murkiness, cut off from neighboring communities umpteen miles away in all directions. Atop a flat hillside, a cabin hummed to the trees and sky, hiding the turpitudes fouling its inner spaces. The air inside was thick with a perspirant miasma that left few quarters untouched. Sticky red liquid stained the rooms by the droplet, splatter, and pool. A violinist on the TV performed to a table of vodka bottles and shot glasses. The blood traced back to a sexagenarian couple laying no feet under. Butcher knife blows too many to count slashed up their dressy, well-nourished frames. The knives used to inflict those violent incisions sat in a bathtub's still water. Stubborn bloodstains caked to the stainless steel. Nearby two bleach-cleaned baskets, a washer was hard at work. Emptiness cleaned out what was a frilly cave any teenage girl would be happy to call her own. It was the lone room in the cabin that bore no brunt of the copious bloodshed. Basilio and Inada, now seventeen, relaxed romantically on the floor's pinkened wood. In their jockey undies, their glazes debonairly stood them up. The facial commons they exchanged brought them to a canoodle as diabolical as the murders they perpetrated. Basilio pulled two sets of washed and dried clothes out of the dryer, having Inada unwrinkle them with a steaming iron. And by and by, their smart, casual garments ascended their dress just short of traditional formality. Seeing their victims again, his eye contact was harder and colder than stone, while hers let a rue or two slip through the cracks. Either way, they felt justified 
in ending Kaisen and Shana Arnoldo, a married couple who adopted, then prostituted them for money, drugs, and alcohol, coming to a head in a fight gone tragically wrong. Neither Basilio nor Ainada marched into that fight murderously. Those acts, impossible to take back, simply took place because they snapped. The lives behind bars they faced when caught swept over them a dreadful doom. Their crimes were too gruesome to even fathom covering up, let alone make an effort to. They knew full well their arrests, convictions, and imprisonments were inevitable. Having said that, they understood that it'd be days before their ferocious handiwork would be found and would take many more for the law to catch up with them. Kaisen and Shauna, like other Aldrichham residents, kept to themselves, regularly going several days without exiting their homes. Sensing their time of freedom taking away, they decided to live whatever days they had to the absolute fullest. And the Shrove Tuesday promo on the television gave them an excellent suggestion on how that time period should start. Basilio pressed the 10-digit combination needed to access the quarter million grand inside Kaisen's safe, handing Ainada the cash for her to stuff in Shana's handbag. Kaisen and Shana pinched pennies like no one's business, spending only if they absolutely had or wanted to. Their miserliness forced Basilio and Ainada to sleep on the floor, feeding them one small meal and beverage a day. His money and her purse became their killers' trophies, bringing said slayers to a lovingly fervorous handhold. Basilio and Ainada sensually covered their faces whole with tulip white masks, masquerading in violets, shamrocks, and poppies. The paper mache solidifying their masks was in fact the skins that layered their abusers' faces. They exited the cabin and walked into the day holding hands and leaning on one another. Classic jazz from Dixieland jingled out the Richelieu skyline. In Little Nolens, a festive parade played and sang down the long, capacity-crowded lane. Hand paint, beads, masks, and costumes adorned the caressing party-goers. Basilio and Ainada jumped, danced, and lip-synced in back of the barricade, not arousing anyone's 
suspicion. The compliments they got from other spectators for their masks were surprisingly high. High marks were given to the masks' smooth feels, buttery coatings, and lush sheens. They spent the next hour taking selfies with partiers and paraders alike, greatly enjoying their newly found freedom and popularity. As constructs, both have driven yet cursed their seventeen years of life, driven in that they yearned to have all the money, property, experiences, and love in the world. But there lied the curse. Those wishes never came close to being granted. In truth, the hands fate dealt them were insolvent, nomadic, and scarred by animus and obloquy. Only recently have they begun to turn their fortune around. Moreover, the merrymakings they acted, voiced, and pictured were among their firsts in so long. Towards lunchtime, the parade began wrapping up, prompting Basilio and Inada to press the gas on their spending spree. A woman in glasses stinked her right eye at them as they departed the parade route, as though her history with them had a novel's length. Basilio checked himself and Inada into the opulently vintage Hotel Richelieu, lunching on French onion soups, crawfish étouffées, and lemon mousse cakes in its restaurant. They bought the early afternoon to digest their meals, chilling in the executive club lounge. Punto Uno Porcento, a rich living magazine, seductively clenched Basilio's mind and sight by the lowered jaws. An inland sea of pink rose petals steadily tucked Inada's auditory and optic nerves in their pianial embrace. His imagination saw him and Inada living in a castle with their private jets, yachts, helicopters, exotic supercars, clothes, jewelry, personal chefs, and butlers. Her mind imagined herself and Basilio living their remaining freedom without having to work, worry about being judged, or be afraid of going broke. Finished with his magazine, Basilio politely tapped and whispered Inada out of her daydream. His smile and hug made her annoyance short-lived. She felt his heart racing and his nerves making a hungry dog out of his breathing. His heartbeats, nerve shakes, and lung pants titillated her inner lioness. Deciding to put where they're staying tonight to good use, 
they trod sentimentally. Direct networking in business formality gently paused that tender tread. Basilio and Inada casually watched the session play out like robots on an assembly line, derisively condoling them for having to sell their hinds off for pennies. Then they saw a man they thought they'd never lay eyes on again, Xander Jr. The chubby frat boy Xander was when they last encountered him was now mentally and emotionally advanced and 30 pounds lighter. Once a greedy, selfish alpha male, the man he since turned into was reverent, kindly, and free from vanity. However, the price he paid and hell he went through for that change for the better was gravely harmful. Talking with his accounting associates, he unexpectedly caught sight of Basilio and Inada, freezing him in place and slipping his pen, notepad, and papers off his hands. The skull and crossbones, venomizing their frowns, exhaled out of him in a shamed moan. Asked if anything was wrong, he looked ahead and Basilio and Inada were gone. He reported back to the conference, breaking recently promoted accounting managers into their new roles and dreading what awaited his life around the corner all throughout. The office Xander had when he was a landlord stood pictures of himself smiling uncomfortably in between his father Xander Sr. and mother Ramona. Its aesthetic disparity with the rest of the building he managed put out of sight the familial toxicities he lived with under its surface. Savoring his cash and checking riches, Basilio and Inada uneasily stormed in on his pleasure-taking. The paper Basilio was holding explained why he and Inada entered so urgently, holding them up to Xander's contemptuous ridicule. Basilio beseechly begged Xander to give him and Inada another month, swearing on their families they'll pay him every last outstanding penny. Not having any of it, Xander told them he didn't give free rides to anybody, let alone bums on basic needs, and certainly not to parentless by blows. He was already skirting the law by giving them an apartment to live in, only doing so on the pretense that they'd be his most reliable tenants. They proved their fiscal worthiness by buying fake identities and credit histories. Xander didn't call the police 
though he could have, because getting that money was worth risking jail time for. And besides, given who he was, he would have at worst got his wrists slapped. All that in mind, Xander told them their days of putting his status at risk were numbered, telling them not to let the door hit them on the way out. Kneeling uneasily, Inada suddenly cried out how she and Basilio will get shot and killed if they lose their apartment. Lacking compassion, Xander ordered them to leave while they still could, advising them to get a job if they wanted a place to stay. His order stripped Basilio and Inada of almost everything they had to lose. The clothes on their backs were the only items of value they possessed. That valuation informed them of the vast riches on Xander's person, tempting them to take a stab at picking his pockets. A two-on-one floor-rolling, furniture-slamming, skin-bruising struggle ensued, dealing the one a black eye and cracked jaw, and the two a stomped groin and left breast. Xander pressed his desk's panic button and clawed chokeholds into Basilio and Inada's scrags, telling them if they fought there in pain now, they ain't felt nothing yet. He smugly turned his struggle with them into a unilateral physical beating, gladly informing them that his police friends are coming to jail them with their kind. Xander again pinned them on the floor before they could even try running away. His citizens' arrests extremified Basilio's rage and hystericized Inada's terror. He rejoiced in each howl they uttered and every agony they flinched. The tears wetting Inada's eyes were the tears flowing down her cheeks and onto the hand and fingers covering her facially forlorn mouth in the present time. Seeing Red Flames himself, Basilio sympathetically gave her a shoulder to cry on in their suite. He gave her his word that Xander will pay for the nightmare he made them live. In a single room, a commercial for tonight's masquerade ball broadcasted, watched by Glenda Arnoldo, the woman who saw them leave the parade, staring into a photo of herself with Basilio and Inada, she casted her mind back to the summer of 2007, the first semester she worked full-time as a teacher. Glenda interacted with them every school day that summer, witnessing firsthand the harm, intimidation, and coercion their peers frequently inflicted 
on them. It was commonplace for her to see them either beat up, hang their faces low, have things taken from them, or in their near lonesome. Glenda did not a thing to stop or even quell Basilio and Inada's bullying. If anything, she chastised them for not ignoring their bullies, yet didn't discipline nor call out the mentioned harassers in any way. Her rationale revolved around her belief that kids will always be kids, that what Basilio and Ainada are going through will pass. Looking back, Glenda wished she intervened when she first saw it happen, but given who she was at the time, it would have been unlikely that she'd step in, even if her knowledge then was her knowledge now. Like her parents, Glenda also was a hard-ass who wouldn't dare show anything less than absolute strength. As much as she pitied Basilio and Inada, their last two interactions made her hate them more. Faucet water warming her face, Inada downcasted fixedly at her indistinct scars. The marks on her skin awoke memories from her year in juvie. Those 365 days were marred by criminal batteries, petty thefts, and solitary confinements. The hurt Inada sustained when she was free paled in comparison to the harm that maltreated her when that freedom was taken away. Her incarceration made what she lived through regularly happen all day and all night without Basilio by her side. Her downed cast seriously wrenched his heart, shaming him for toughing his prison term out while she couldn't tough it out at all. She exited the bathroom and thanked him for not saying a word as she repatched her reopened non-physical cuts. He softly replied to her thanks and was about to ask her a question he kept inside when she stopped him before he could tell her what he was wondering about. She didn't need him to complete his sentence to tell him that she was all in on having Xander feel the wrath. In a controlled panic, Xander packed his belongings, having informed his co-workers of a personal emergency that warranted an early departure. Every item he packed flashed the deadly stairs Basilio and Ainada gave him, frosting his nerve fibers. His need to leave the city troubled his packing to its finish, exit from the room and checking out of the hotel. He speedwalked down the parking garage, looking all around for the car he rented. When that car became visible, he breathed a relieved sigh, as though his life's salvation had shone 
itself. He hustled to unlock his car, open its trunk, and stuff it with his luggage. Thinking he's in the clear, Xander chortily slammed his hood shut. That slam was Basilio's spark to skin tightly force over his head a plastic bag. Xander tried frantically to escape his stifle, but the worsening asphyxia choked him unconscious. That allowed Inada to handcuff Xander's hands behind his back and for her and Basilio to haul him into a gray ML and speed off. After dusk, a flamboyant masquerade took over the ballroom. As far as the eye can see, people in costume partied out energies they waited a whole year to let loose. Blending in with her natural-born mingling skills, Glenda was on the hunt for Basilio and Inada, ready to pounce the second they showed up. Tonight was her last chance to put them in jail for trying to throw her off Big Nor, a precipitously secluded and bridged road that stretched 666 decameters along the coastline of La Costa del Norte. There was no way in hell she would allow them to get away with their hair-raising attempt on her life. Her firm determination made her stick around and make countless new friends. As the clock approached midnight, she started losing faith in her quest for justice. Everywhere she turned, she saw facial shapes and skin tones other than the ones that shaped and hewed Basilio and Ainada. Glenda hid her quest and dwindling hope from her new friends. Then at the eleventh hour, a bathroom break toned an alert that made her quest all for naught. The bulletin that popped up was in regards to Xander's kidnapping, detailing his date of birth, weight, height, the clothes he was last seen wearing, and the suspect vehicle. Though it didn't name the suspects, Glenda knew for sure that Basilio and Inada were Xander's kidnappers, and that their destination was Big Nor. Knowing that threw her down the dark chasm that was her near death that February 13th in 2010. Her day at Big Nor came about from a morbid curiosity she wanted to bear witness to personally. Glenda desired to confirm or debunk a rumor she overheard concerning the coastal stretches infamy as a place where the dead decompose in mass and where the living are dropped to their deaths 300 feet below. The smashing cliffs and picturesque nature dropped her jaw, took away her breath, and stunned her five senses. She found it hard 
to believe that a location so beautiful would have a secret so ugly. In spite of that, the peace and quiet that isolated her miles from any humanity gave the rumor enough credence for her to still look into it. Glenda wended her way to the road's fence, looking straight up as she deeply breathed in like a swimmer about to go underwater. She strongly exhaled, grabbed the top fence bar, and looked straight down to a sight that put the glacial gale up her. Bones and partly clothed skeletons becoming ones with the earth amassed the pockets betwixt the mossy boulders. Her mouth hand-covered, she desolately lost her cool, falling physically ill on all fours. It was as if Glenda discerned visually the unsightly innards of multiple vicious hearts. Having seen evil incarnate, she thought her day couldn't get any worse, but it did, and Basilio and Ainada would bring that worsening forth. Glenda hadn't forgotten the stormy blows she came to with them after the final bell of their summer of school rang. What happened next, she feared, would also happen to Xander, but with an end result far less fortunate. Glenda's failure to get justice for herself devastated her almost to the point of just letting the fate that awaited Xander materialize. But her inner strength pushed her to garner up the hopeful courage to hurry out of the hotel and toward the location of her life's worst hour. Still fairly devastated, Glenda felt that if getting justice for herself was no longer possible, the next best thing would be to get that for Xander. Hundreds of miles to her north, Basilio and Ainada crossed into La Costa del Norte with a still unconscious Xander in their toe. Three used syringes and an empty quarter-ounce bottle of undiluted melatonin rocked along below the back seat. Their third sleepless night loosened the screws in their brains that the previous two couldn't slacken, leaving tight only those linked to their soundness of mind. Memories they haven't remembered in years returned with a vengeance. Procreated by Erasmo and Basilia Espinal and Olvin and Yailin Lida, their lives from their earliest heartbeats were marred by undesire. Neither pair had the financial means nor emotional self-regards to take care of them. A generation earlier, all four parents were the sons and daughters of high-ranking Yellow Cross officers. The country homes they lived in were a short walk up the hill 
from the prison camp, their parents officiated the uber-infamous Camp Sunshine. Deep in Las Grandes Cascadas, the barbarities during its prison camp years rolled them in powerful riches, then in powerless beggarlies. After Gregorio Jr.'s fall, their riches dropped to zero and their statuses became worthless. As for their parents, they were stripped of their ranks and lethally injected for their crimes against humanity. Though both couples weren't prosecuted, the shame they lived with hurt more than any criminal penalty ever could. That shame was a perpetual pain they didn't want to pass onto Basilio and Ainara. So one morning, they set the then newborns on a group home's doorstep, then ran off to begin their lives anew in the Adaloon Islands. This information Basilio and Ainara would come upon just prior to running away from the group home. For years, its cottaged confides abusively profiled them for their lines of descent. Their kind and their opposites split along the lines Gregorio Jr. drew, the orphaned offspring of his enemies comprising one side and those of his loyalists forming the other. Still, neither tribe was spared of the parental iron fists that disrespectfully dishonored them. Their resurrected memories returned their mental states to the lecherous blives that scored their two fatal stabbings. But for Basilio, that return also brought with it a latent yearn to no longer live the agonizing life he's lived. Their taste buds, thirsty for blood, they drove onto Big Nor, sharply turning a U to park at the southbound shoulder. They carried Xander out and kneeled his sedated senseless self execution style, standing and waiting for the nightly blue to lighten. The sun's rise into the horizon roused him from his drugged sleep. An eerily windy tranquil helped Xander recollect his feelings and thoughts from yesterday afternoon, presenting Basilio and Ainara to his view. Basilio and Ainara welcomed him to Death Drop Nor, where he'll rest eternally, but not before repaying in full the debts he took out on their lives. Trembling in alarmedness, Xander told them the man thereafter died long ago, and that all he's done is make an honest living as an accountant, accriting their blives. Ainada yelled her reproof at Xander for having the gall to say he's changed given how catastrophically he messed them up, raising their chances of ever living a normal life. Basilio backed her reproof by telling Xander they'll never, ever forgive or accept his sorries, describing them as having the worth 
of excreta. Xander didn't blame them one bit for dismissing his repentance, sensing the despondencies at the backs of their mortal grudges. He armored in Wolfram his dignity and pride, just in time for Basilio and Ainata to batter him like he belabored them. Their hard blows busted him open in ways on par with how Kaisen and Shauna were slitted up. Ironically, Kaisen and Shauna battered them around the week prior to their demises. Basilio and Ainata stole thousands in cash from their safe, spending it on a lavish and epicurean day at a high-end mall, the best they've dressed, ate, and drank up to that point. Locked in the basement for that grand theft, their homicidal proclivities developed as hunger and thirst took their tolls, rolling all the bile their minds have pented up into two conjoined bombs. On the night of the murders, Kaisen and Shauna got drunk watching concerts, gloating at them with their ebullient inebriation. That belittling detonated Basilio and Ainara's biles, taking them into a psychotic rage that broke the basement door down and commenced the stabbing. The bile that fueled their fury that night was the same one fueling the wrath they're having Xander feel. Basilio and Ainata gave their thwacking a breather, drugging high at how similar Xander's bruises and weak moves were to Kaisen and Shauna's slashes and clings for life. The way Xander looked was how Glenda looked when they finished beating her up. Their high wearing off, they thought the time had arrived to commit the throw that was five years overdue. The handcuffs were to ensure that Xander couldn't escape how Glenda did at the very last second. Her escape almost threw Basilio and Ainara over the bridge, putting them in a predicament they nearly didn't climb out of. Hardly able to resist, Xander braced himself, praying in his head for God's forgiveness. Ainada stood him up by his arms, while Basilio gripped his legs by the shins. They were about to take Xander to the bridge's edge when the people in blue rushed onto the scene. Their unforeseen arrival completely threw all four of them for a loop, answering Xander's prayer and taking Basilio and Ainada's retribution to rack and ruin. The heavily armed cops riding inside caused them to scuttle for the bridge's fence. Their hurried run screeched to a standstill by a rubber bullet that halved Xander's cuffs, giving him the courage to free himself and crawl with all speed to the trigger-happy officers. 
and Glenda, who flew to a nearby city, directing police to the would-be murder. The commands Basilio and Inanna got to surrender pulled their spirits front and center, and Basilio's longing to depart for good out of its latency. In disbelief that Glenda had again one-upped him and Inada, Basilio edgily stared at her facial fright. The stoical face he made relaxed her frightful quivers. Basilio gave Inada the lengthiest and most fervent kiss he's ever given. Their kiss took them back to the one they pecked immediately after gazing upon one another for the very first time. Words weren't needed for one to know that the other was their missing half. Their looks, mannerisms, and lineages were one and the same. Facilio told Inada that whether physically or spiritually, he'll always love her and will forever be a mere fought away. Her anxiety jammed past its panic point. She had no chance to talk him out of his death wish before he clamped onto her, darted toward the bridge's fence, and jumped over its top bar. Their pursuers and ex-hostage met their overturning descent with gasps for air, backward jumps, and dropping jaws. They dreamily fell like two doves bracing for their ends after failing their first flights. Their slam shortly after sunk their onlookers' hearts harder than a sandbag dropped in an ocean. The waves, winds, and birds roared, whistled, and chirped on as per usual. Nested in four blood-bathed rocks, Basilio and Inada cuddled stock still. Their edgeless faces undyingly slumbered before the cloudless sky's shine. Both Glenda and Xander took solace in the fact that Basilio and Inada were at long last free and at peace. Although Glenda would later learn of her parents' murders, their deaths and how they played out failed to deal a single dent to her solace as she went through similar abuses at her parents' hands. But for Xander, the murders wiped his soul clean of any sympathies he had for Basilio or Inada. According to him, his sins were nowhere near as wanton as the sins they committed. Be that as it may, Basilio and Inada won in three respects. The first was that their pain was over and done with, whereas Glenda and Xander's were not. Second, they lived their lives as one 
and laid them down as one. And lastly, their stories bred in ignominy that locked targets on Glenda and Xander's faces. Xander still had to suffer the consequences of his past decisions as Basilio and Ainata weren't the only kids whose lives he permanently damaged. However, as bad as he had it, Glenda had it worse because in the months that followed, Glenda fled to Robapel due to her life being constantly threatened. In either case, what transpired during Basilio and Ainada's final days were the latest links in a chain that was a precedent established by a cataclysm that indelibly scarred the nation's young, and as fate would have it, that initial upheaval will pave the way for the others that followed in its wake. And that, my dystoplicans, was Basilio and Ainata. Thank you so much for your listening ears, and please be sure to share this show with everyone you know, and make sure they share it with everyone they know. Follow me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash ian slash Raul hyphen Guerrero hyphen Jr. Send me your questions and feedback at Raul Guerrero Jr. 95 at gmail.com. And finally, I highly urge you to support the show via my PayPal at paypal.com slash paypalme slash Raul Guerrero Jr. Supporting the show ensures that its financial and creative autonomies are maximized. On that note, I'm Raul Guerrero and come again for another episode of the Dystopian Republic.